Ladies and gentlemen, listening from around the world, we are live! Welcome to this episode of Tailgates and Teasers! And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, introducing your host, Drew Werner! It's time! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode two of Tailgates and Teasers. I'm your host, Drew Gwarder. And today I'm joined by two of my good friends. Uh, on my left, we got Andrew Gray co-hosting for the first time with me. Andrew and I went to school together at Holy Names, uh, played a little college ball together, and uh, he hooked it up with a bar job about a couple years ago. So we've no- got to know each other pretty well uh, the past two years. And thanks for being here today, Andrew. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. And then on my right, we got Jake Ward. Um Costin Hammer Network, the show producer. I've known Jake for two, three years now. Uh, great, about. yeah, great guy. Uh, both these guys know a lot about sports, so I'm glad that they're here to talk today with me and get episode two rolling. Before we get going, though, we want to shout out our sponsors, the Broken Bat Workshop and Pure Effect Golf. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at the Broken Bat Workshop and use code TNT10 for 10% off your order at checkout with the Broken Bat Workshop and at Perfect Golf on Instagram and use code TAILGATES, all caps, for 20% off your order at Perfect Golf. We have a lot of baseball talk coming up. We're going to touch on the 60-game season, teams that will benefit and struggle the most from it, new rule additions. We're going to each make our own World Series, Rookie of the Year, and MVP picks, and we're going to talk about the current state of marketing players in the MLB. So we got a lot of stuff that we're going to go over, and with that said, episode two starts now. Baseball. We got a 60-game season coming up this year, obviously shortened due to the crazy 2020 circumstances with the coronavirus, everything going on. Drew, what are your thoughts on uh, the 60-game season? I think it, I think it's... Definitely going to lead us to one of the more exciting seasons you you could have. I mean, I think there's going to be definitely a lot more parity. Um, the shorter season gives the medium tier teams much more of a chance, and I think it actually hurts most of the top tier teams. So, right. Hopefully, hopefully we're seeing a lot more parity this year. It's crazy to think that a sixty game season is only thirty seven percent of what a normal season would be, and so to think that we're going to decide the playoffs on 37% of a normal season, to me, still blows my mind. But, Andrew, I, I think you're completely right. All, all those t- teams right at the top, they're the ones who are going to suffer the most because all it takes is a good 60-game start. And we'll touch on some teams that are notorious hot starters, notorious slow starters. And that's going to be all this season is. You know, 60 games, that's a normal start to a season any other year, not this year. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that as well. I think you're going to see a lot of those middle-of-the-tier teams take advantage of this opportunity, and I also think you're going to see a lot of those teams like the you know, Yankees, Dodgers, uh, Twins, you know, kind of, well, I don't know so much about the Twins, but the Yankees and Dodgers kind of suffer being in those divisions. So, And 60 games also is 
generally I'd say like the benchmark for, you know, it's too early, you know, up, up until about 60 games when teams get hot, it's always, it's too early to tell or it's too early to tell if a team's not going to be good. So it's interesting that like right at that point where it's too early is where we're going to call it. Definitely. Did you guys hear about the rules leading into this season? So obviously normal normal rosters, 25 man, they're going to start this year doing 30 man rosters and then they're going to reduce them every couple of weeks until they get down to 26 that they'll keep through the rest of the year. If you have a double header, once you get to that 26 mark, they'll let you bring in an additional player. But it's it's crazy to me that you're going to start with 30 and then reduce like everything about this season is so backwards and so untraditional that for a traditional sport like baseball, you feel so out of balance. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I I just think this year is completely like we've seen it not just in MLB, but we've seen it in, you know, football, basketball, everything's sl- slowly coming back, but it's all just so weird. You know, we got guys in the NBA staying in a bubble. We got the NFL. We don't even know if they're going to actually have a season. We got the MLB right now. Nobody's in the stands. The players have to be in the stands, uh, but, like, there's no fans. They're talking about pumping crowd noise in. I don't know if you guys have heard much about that, but I just feel like that'd be weird as a player completely. So, um we're going to move on here. We got the teams that we think will take the most advantage of the situation and the teams that we think will suffer from the situation. There being 60 games. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on the teams that will suffer or take advantage of the situation? Definitely. I think, uh, the teams who I have benefiting the most, um, are going to be teams with a lot of young, uh, talent. Who we don't know maybe a lot about teams like the white Sox or the blue Jays. I think uh, both teams have a ton of young talent that we don't know a lot about. Every year I feel a young player will come in and just set the set the stage, you know, like set the league on fire. Right. Teams don't know how to deal with new players a lot. So a team who's young, especially like the Blue Jays who have so much They're, talent. They are lineup. loaded, I think, with young talent. They have right. Vladdy at the corner, you know, just all kinds of great talent. And then... Also, the White Sox are a scary team that I think could actually make a wild card spot this oh, year. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, if they get, you know, all it takes is for two of those guys to just start their careers hot and 20 or 30 games into a season, you could be looking at both of those teams going for a playoff spot. Jake, what about you? I've got three teams on my list that I think really benefit the most. I'll start with one I think that's slightly more obvious, and, and maybe all of these are, but I got Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay built on pitching. They've got a good young lineup that's coming up. They're not going to be ready yet, but Hunter Renfro, mm-hmm. Austin Meadows, you got Mike Zanino behind the dish who's got a little pop. They hit. They, they've got some offense to match their pitching. You know, they've, they've got Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now. They've right. got it set up that as long as you don't stumble out of the gates, they're going to be doing great. And last year... They got off to a 37-23 start right out in the first 60 games. That could be playoff bounds this year. Second team, I've got Minnesota. Minnesota made some moves in the offseason. They picked up Josh Donaldson. They still got Sano, still got Cruz. I love that Donaldson move, by the way. I I, think that was an amazing signing by them. I am a huge fan fan of the bringer of rain. They just signed uh, Puig as well. Yep, today. That's right. Breaking news. Yep, yep. Breaking news. And just think about now how deep that lineup is. You still got Max Kepler in the outfield, Jorge Polanco, Eddie Rosario. You've also got Mitch Garver behind the dish, who proved to have a little pop last year. So that's another team. Right. Again, had a 40 and 20 stretch in the first 60 games last year. 
that very well could run away with the division. I mean, a division that has Cleveland, who I think is kind of on the way down. Yep, I do too. And not really many other teams to really contend with in that AL Central. So I've got Minnesota. My third team, again, probably a little bit obvious, but I've got Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I think that young core, I love Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman still smacking the ball whenever he wants to. They didn't get off to the best start last year. They're not a team that normally does get off to a hot start, but if you can make the playoffs, you've got a chance this year. Not to mention, they've also added Marcelo Zuna, Austin Riley, and his hot start to his career last year. They're, they're going to be tough. I, I think they're going to be a serious contender in the NL, not just the NL East, but all of the NL. Right. I have a, uh, maybe a couple questions I just thought about as you were reading those. Um I, I like the Tampa pick. I do think it's interesting that Florida is right now having some of the worst trouble with coronavirus and how you think that that could affect a team who plays in Florida. It's going to be tough because we're already seeing the NBA bubble down in Florida. There right. was a player for the Kings mm-hmm. went out to pick up some delivery food, accidentally crossed the bubble line. And now he's got Holmes. a, yep. now he's got a quarantine. So and they just tested uh, Harrison Barnes just tested positive yep, as well. Today, these so. these hot spots and and unfortunately we all here in the Bay Area we're in one of those hot spots. It's California, Texas, Florida. Those three states are really going to have a hard time kind of keeping their players on the field just by nature of where they are right. through no right. fault of their right. own. And then uh, another question uh, that also came up, uh, you guys can maybe both touch on this. Um, you bring up the Twins. I think that's a, a really good uh, team as well. They uh, almost set the record last year for home runs in a season. So how do you think a team who relies heavily on home runs, uh, how do you think that the shortened season could affect or benefit that? I think, I don't know. I think that's a really tough question because, you know, teams are going to rely on how they play the game, if that makes sense. They're going to, I don't think they'll change their style of game that they have, but at the same time, you almost got to test the waters within the first 10 games and see this isn't working for us. We have to change and maybe play some small ball. And not only that, I also think that if they, you know, hitters take a long time to get the ball rolling, you know, to be seeing baseballs as big as a watermelon again, feel rhythm in the box. So I feel like that could maybe just lead into them, I don't know, waiting a few more games to maybe change their style of play. That's what I got on it. I, I'm right there with you. I think you have to be who you are. I, I I don't think you need to try to do too much. Right. While everything around the game is maybe changing, the one thing that's not changing is, the for the most part, I should say, the game itself. It's still the same old game, it, except for the uh, extra innings rule now. But to, to me, that even plays more to a team that wants to hit more home runs. If you can get through a game through nine and you're two, two, you're three, three, you know, a a tie ball game. Now you have this runner starting on base. Let me throw in my best power hitter. Let me see if he can end the game right here. You know, I don't, I'm with you, Drew. I don't think it changes too much, but it'll be interesting to see who abandons their strategy early on. I think so. Touch on that runner on second uh, to start extra innings rule. I, do you guys think that these teams will bunt to get the runner to third with one out runner right on third base, less than two, Next guy comes up. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you think they'll just be traditional and let it play out, let them swing it? Uh, I mean, I think just the sacrifice bunt in general in baseball has been down. I mean, other than when a pitcher hits, I can't think really of the last time I even saw 
you know, because I think now, especially how baseball players are being developed, you have to be able to hit. And I think that there's too many guys who, you know, one through nine can hit a ball in the gap. I don't know if you if you need to. It'll be interesting to see if some teams try it and some teams don't. What works, what doesn't. I mean, it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. You're going to there's going to be a lot of trial. There's going to be a lot of, of doing things wrong. There's going to be a lot of doing things right, figuring out how it works the best. So I think it depends on what kind of team you are. I think if you're already a small ball team, that you're going to be more inclined to do that. Mm-hmm. I think overall, in general, it would be smart for all teams to do that. But I, I think the power hitters will say, you know what? Let me take my chance. I've got one of my best hitters at the plate, a man on second. I don't need to waste an at-bat for him by bunting a man over. He can put one into the gap, or if, if he can even get one just kind of deeply into the outfield, you know, that that's probably scoring that run. I guess another thing to me also is I don't know how they're picking who goes to second base. Like, do you does the, does the team have a designated runner? Because that can change things. If you had a, a player, you know, if you could pick <laughs> your player who ran, you could D have a Gordon, guy. Billy Hamilton, right. go run. Right, you just have one guy <laughs> yeah. on the roster who... Right. So I found it right here, and I'll I'll read it verbatim according to the Seattle Times article that I found. The runner placed on second base at the start of each half inning shall be the player or a substitute for such player in the batting order immediately preceding that half inning's leadoff hitter. So it's not going to necessarily be that last out, but whoever, if, Drew, you're in the seventh spot, I'm in the eighth spot, the eighth spot's leading off, Drew, you're going to be the one to go out to second and be that runner. Wow, Jake, the seventh spot? That's what you think of me? (laughs) Hey, (laughs) I'm in the eighth spot, man. You're you're at least higher than I am. Now let's talk a little bit about the teams that we think will struggle from this 60-game season. I think uh, I, I I would go straight to teams in the, maybe in the west or in the central. I mean, I really think the team... That's going to be hurt the most uh, is is the Astros. Uh, I think you have a team who's uh, again going to be having to play against the NL West. It's already going to be tough, and their pitching is uh, subpar, at least in their bullpen, to say the least. And that's going to be important. You also lose uh, Garrett Cole. There's there's a lot of transitional period. That's even without the scandal, which could this time off and everything. It could benefit them. It, it could still end up hurting them in the end. Um, but aside from that, I think the lack of uh, bullpen depth and then having to play against uh, the NL West is going to hurt the Astros the most. I think personally that teams in the Central, um, specifically the NL Central, they, you know, a full season, they get to play everyone, right? And this year they focus on their geographical area, the NL Central, AL Central. Having to play those teams more, they have the Brewers, they have the Cardinals, they have the Cubs, they have the Reds. Pirates, not not so much in my opinion, but those other four teams are all contenders this year in my opinion. And I think that them having to battle it out day in and day out in a shortened season, I think that's going to affect that uh, division a lot. What about you, Jake? So I'll, I'll give my three one more time. Okay. I have all of the NL West suffering because, of course, you got the Dodgers – clear NL favorites, but you've got, like we mentioned, teams like the Padres who start quick in a hitter-friendly park. You got, sorry, I think I said Padres. Teams like the Rockies in a hitter-friendly park up in the altitude. You also have the Padres. I'm throwing them in that list because they're good, they're young. What we've been talking about, though, the pitching there is what what really worries me. I don't know that they have the rotation really to make it deep into the playoffs if they can get there. But they're an exciting team. Sometimes all you need is that, that offense to take you over the hump. Uh, so I, I've 
I've got the whole NL West suffering because, like we've mentioned, now you got to go play Houston. You got to go play the Angels. You got to go play the A's. And teams like the Giants, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a huge Giants fan. I'm almost not even paying attention to the Giants at all this year. I, I know experience, all that. I don't think they're going to – that's an easy win for everybody that's <laughs> playing the Giants. But but everybody else, from the, the Diamondbacks over to the Angels to – Probably the Mariners will probably put up a decent little fight. I, I don't, you know, they they always try to make some moves. They'll win a couple of games, but I they I, always start hot. The 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 Mariners always start hot, and that's one of the themes that we've been talking about. All it takes is them yep. to win those those couple of games, maybe steal some from the Dodgers. I, I I think that whole both West suffer. I've also got the A's. I know they're in both the West, but I wanted to specifically single out the A's, and I'm sorry, Drew, but we know that they don't get off to hot starts. That is that predates Bob Melvin. That is just an Oakland tradition in getting off to a slow start. Oh, you're 100% correct. And it, it just, we know that they've got the lineup. We know that they've got good young pitching, but that young pitching hasn't been tested. It's been injured, and we we know, and, and especially know a lot through your last episode and where we got to talk to Aiden McIntyre. Check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. We know that the A's did a lot of shuffling with their arms in the, in the system, so They've got depth, but none of that depth has really been tested. And especially in a short season where experience may play a big factor, potentially, it, it, it could be a, a big big negative for the A's. Right. My last team, real quick, is the Nationals, the defending champions. I, I mean, we know how tough it is to defend a World Series as it is already. Now factor in this season, like we talked about earlier, factor in the loss of, of Zimmerman, Ryan Zimmerman, and Ian Desmond. You know, it, they're going to struggle. It, it's going to be a long road. Yeah, they've got some pitching, but now your offense isn't where it needs to be. And mm-hmm. it, you can't – one facet of the game shouldn't be enough to to win you some games. It might this year because it's so unpredictable, right. but do you, that's that's a team that struggles. Do you think that uh, this extra break that they've had helps them or, or hurts them? You know, because there's always the, the World Series hangover, the Super Bowl hangover starting that next season after you, were, after you were the last team to have played, do you think that this delay to the start of the season helps them, especially with guys who've had injury problems like Strasburg? Because for them to win, uh, Strasburg and Scherzer are going to have to be dominant. And I, I personally, for the Mets, see it as a benefit that they've had this, this extra time off to rest, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it Like you said, it gives you time to heal up, gives you time that you – wouldn't normally otherwise have like Aiden talked about on the last episode it gives you more time to really train and and to really kind of focus on you as a player build your strengths work on your weaknesses I I think it does help but whatever sort of advantage that gave them or whatever whatever benefit it gave them has now been negated by the players opting out Sure. sure I also think that the only people really affected by this wait out or waiting longer is the hitters and I said it earlier but it's those live ABs and getting your rhythm in the box is one of the toughest things to do when you get going. Pitchers can throw pins. Uh, pitchers can do, you know, off-season workouts. So can hitters. But seeing those live ABs, especially in a time right now, it's really hard. So I think hitters are going to be the ones that struggle the most. And it's a, a classic saying about spring training. You know, it always takes the hitters longer. Exactly. Always takes the hitters longer to come back. So it's a great point. We were talking about that universal DH and a lot about hitting and how this year is going to be different. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the – new rule about the universal DH and pitchers not being able to hit specifically in the national league. 
I really like this. I think I've been, as much as I like to see myself as maybe a baseball purist, somebody who really likes just how baseball's been going, I think the uh, universal DH is a great rule, and I'm kind of glad that maybe this season happened so we could get it. But um, I think it benefits everybody except for potentially two or three people. Um, I think this gives so many guys another opportunity to get another contract, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's going to uh, – players are going to love it because of that. Pitchers now, especially if you're in a bullpen, the scenario of them having to put a pitcher in in the top of the eighth inning and get a third of an inning and then have to pull him out because his spot's coming up in the next inning, that doesn't happen anymore. So you can extend pitchers longer in the National League now. You don't have to worry about that as much. Um so pitchers are going to love it. Um, I think the owners love it because people are going to love it. People are going to be watching. And Right. Um, one, one thing I just thought about, too, it almost effectively makes the three-batter rule useless now that you know that you're never going to have to pinch it for a hitter or just never going to have exactly. anything to do with yeah. that. Exactly. I can now just throw in a pitcher whenever I need to and know that he'll be out there for the next three. It's best matchup is, is what's going to go. So Now, right. personally, I... I'm a big baseball traditionalist and I like the strategy of having to think about, Hey, my pitcher spots coming up. Like you said, I, can I get my starter to go another third of an inning? Do I have to waste a bullpen arm to me? I, I love the traditional. I don't want to touch the game. I'm not a big fan of the whole runner on second base, but I also understand the way MLB is trying to move nowadays. And the, the game is moving towards offense. And that means universal DH I knew it wasn't a matter of if, it was only a matter of yep. when. And I, I think, Andrew, I think you touched on this earlier, or maybe you mentioned it to me off the show, but I, I think the universal DH is here to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jake, um, about being a traditionalist. I've grown up to love the game for what I grew up with. Uh, AL, you know, being a certain way. NL, pitchers having to hit. Um, and I've just kind of gotten mad lately at the MLB with all these rule changes that they have and all this stuff that they're trying to implement. I feel like they're really trying to focus on the fans that don't love the game so much. And so the fans that do love the game, but then again, I'm starting to understand that it is a business and you got to, you know, meet the, meet the greater picture there, or, you know, the mass crowd or whatever. As a business, yeah. your, your As, whole, you, you want to grow your audience, right? You right. Grow, That's what I was trying to say. Grow your audience. Your, yeah. your customer so, base, your fan base. But the thing is, you're trying, as you mentioned, you're trying to capture the people you don't have, and it's now almost alienating the people that you do have. Right. All and your, that's your, what's tough, where, there, where there's that border in the middle, you know, where it's like, ah, right. you don't want to cross over too far and then piss off those fans too, and then, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, a little give and take. I've, I've went on a crusade the past couple of years. You know, the MLB is, is trying to gear the game towards offense. It's launch angle, it's home runs, yep. it's strikeouts, it's the, the three true outcomes, right? But... It's just not really the true baseball that I grew up watching. You know, it, it just, you're trying to gear it all towards offense and you're devaluing the defense. And you're also at the same time trying to make the game shorter. Those two things don't go hand yeah. in hand. In fact, they're quite opposite. If you want more offense, be ready for longer games. Right. And I mean, the, the beauty of baseball is that there's no clock, right? It's, it's the sport with no clock. It's, it's a pastime. You you go there and you spend your day there and you're with your family, you know. And so it is disheartening when, when they're ma- taking all these steps to, to shorten a game when 
you know, I mean, like you guys are saying with the business, the three of us aren't who these rules are trying to change. I mean, I could go out for six hours and watch baseball all day, and I would love it and be just as happy. But when it comes to the business, they're not worried about us because we're going to be here. They've already got us. You know, right. we're, we're going to be here. It's it's especially the next generation who I think doesn't like baseball as much. And now that things are so social media heavy, everything has got to be so quick. It's, it's got to be instant gratification. And if you, don't, point. if you don't know a lot about the strategy of baseball, there is instant gratification in every play. But if you don't understand the game or love it, then you don't understand those strategic things changing. Those are some great points, Andrew. So something that really strikes me is interesting. We talk about the World Series odds, right? Uh, you got before and after coronavirus odds. Mind-blowing the change. Teams like the White Sox, the Reds, Angels, Rockies, Rangers, to name a few. Uh, for example, the Rockies, pre-shortened season odds, 0.7% chance to win. Post-shortened season odds, 10.9% chance to win. So you're getting all these teams that are kind of the lower, wouldn't really be in the mix, jump like crazy as much as 10% to you know have an impact this season. So what are your guys' thoughts on the odds this year, and who are you taking? It's kind of the, the flip side of, of what we were talking about with teams that are the favorites that are kind of hurt the most by this. Well, now the teams that are kind of towards the bottom are going to get this little bit of a jump because now it's it's a mad dash. It's it's you know it's funny. We always talk about baseball being a marathon, not a sprint. But this year is a sprint. Mm-hmm. There is no right. there is no marathon. So for a team like the Rockies playing in an extremely hitter friendly park up there in Mile High, Colorado, all it takes is squeaking out a couple of games against a team like the Dodgers. You know, instead of getting swept yep. for a series or going. Going one and two, maybe you pull out the series win. Go two and one. You you pick up a couple games here or there. You find yourself in a wild card spot. You know it's it's crazy to think teams like the Rockies, teams like the Rangers. You know with Joey Gallo and all the kind of pop they have in that lineup, yep. all it takes is a couple good games and they're right in that that playoff chase. Yeah, not to mention uh, that Corey, Corey Kluber signing and Mike. I mean they have a, they got a good uh, starting rotation out there as well. Um, I think. You know, it, it is interesting because, you know, over the, the course of a season, um, the good teams tend to rise to the top. The bad teams tend tend to sink to the bottom. You know, it's a lot of these teams, I think, are going to be similar to that Twins team who you were talking about earlier, who just got out to that 40 and 20 start. You know, that's that's all it takes this year. And I think that they're really valuing pitching staffs and young talent with, with, with what we're seeing here. You know, I, I look at... Um, teams like the White Sox or the Rangers with good pitching talent. Um, and then also I look at teams like the Reds, who I think are going to benefit from playing in the NL, uh, in the central divisions, playing against each other. There's teams on here like the Angels, for example, who I understand because they have Mike Trout, they have Otani, they have Rendon. Um, but they're also having to now add the NL West. they got to play the NL West. They Hello, have, Dodgers and yep. Padres. <laughs> yep. You gotta, you gotta continue to play your division, and you still don't have any pitching. So I get it that some guys can get hot. You know, I think maybe this chart could be a little misleading for for some teams, but I think they're really valuing um, young talent and and good pitching staffs, which is nice to see. To touch on the Angels real quick, they did sign Rendon, which is a nice offensive pickup this year. But I also think that no matter how good your offense is, pitching wins games. So that's that's why I think this year, whoever has a good staff, a good bullpen, they will go the deepest. When think about it, you know, the, the Angels, 
that pitching staff has to pitch now to an A's lineup, which is a top 10 lineup in baseball, an Astros lineup, which is a top 10 lineup in baseball, the Rangers who have no shortage of, of power. And then you add on to them, the Dodgers, um, the, the Rockies, the, the Padres who can hit. I mean, this season to me is going to be about who can pitch and who can stay healthy. Do you guys think that if a team, like I'm going to use the Rockies as an example, if they come out, start hot like they always do, continue that for 60 games, somehow make the playoffs, somehow beat the Dodgers, somehow get to the World Series and win, is there an asterisk that goes by the Rockies' name at the end of the year? I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be, it's going to have to play out. I mean, for me, you know, I, I can definitely imagine a scenario in my head where the Rangers win the World Series and they played, you know, the Dodgers AAA team because everybody is out or, or chose to sit out, you know, uh, then it would definitely have an asterisk to me. I think you put an asterisk there. It's it's going to be there no matter what. So I don't know if you put it there. But the reason that I would put it there is not for, oh, man, this player's missing, this player's missing. I put it there because this is one of the toughest seasons I can remember in recent years trying to deal with is somebody not going to play. Like Take a team like the Nationals, let's say, because we already know two of their bigger names have already opted out in Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond. So if the Nationals, who already faced an uphill battle of defending their World Series title, now want to really defend that without two of their best players, why should there be an asterisk there for anything other than we had to fight harder than we did the year before when we actually won it? So to, to me, you put an asterisk there, but it's for going through a hell of a year and coming out on top in, in something that's so, <laughs> the word of the year that I've been hearing is unprecedented. That's what yep. this whole entire yep. year is. And so you can't knock a team for that. They battled through it. They came out on top. You got to reward right. them. You almost put the double asterisk on there. You know what I mean? You asterisk the asterisk. You know? exactly. Double negative. <laughs> Expo- exponential uh, asterisking here. Exactly. Us three, we're going to choose who we think is going to win the World Series, MVP, Rookie of the Year, kind of talk a little bit about the ALNL favorites. I personally think World Series this year is going to the Los Angeles Dodgers, even though it's a shortened season and everything we've talked about. The Los Angeles Dodgers are a team that I think have the best lineup in baseball offensively. They have great young pitching, and I think just how they've been kind of screwed the last two years, you know, I think this is their year they finally put it together. What do you guys think for World Series? I'm going to do my hot take on this one right now. Uh, I have the Yankees and the Dodgers. This is going to be my uh, scorching 2020 hot take right there. Um, And, well... (laughs) <laughs> take that bay area uh yeah and uh and that east coast bias you know what i mean um and i, I you know I, I think the yankees i i hate to say it i don't i don't want to be picking the favorite but i mean that pitching rotation is dominant so they're favorites for a reason right it's yeah. how favorites work yeah out of the national league i'm taking the braves i just can't get over this young core with freddie freeman the pitching staff that the braves have let me pull up my notes right here. It includes Fulton Mike Nevitz. Soroka, Fulton Evitz. <laughs> I don't know that I trust their former Giants bullpen with Mark Melanson as your closer. <laughs> More power to you, Atlanta. But you know what? You've also got Will Smith there, so when Melanson inevitably can't get the job done, you turn to Will Smith. I so like I, Will Smith a lot. I wish he was still yep. a Giant, quite honestly. Lefty killer, man. He's good. So I've got 
the Braves winning the National League and taking the AL pennant. I'm sorry, it's the evil empire of the Yankees. It's going to be a 1996 repeat of the World Series. I've got the Yankees beating the Braves. I like it. I like, I like it. it. <laughs> I like it. What do you guys think about MVP? I think Matt Chapman is a MVP dark horse this year. I think he's an MVP favorite. I think I'm going to go off on a limb and say that. He I finished, think he wins uh, MVP this year. I've actually seen some people saying that they would take Matt Chapman right now over Nolan Arenado, which is very controversial, but I can actually I can see it because I put Matt Chapman's defense right up there, if not better than Arenado's. Chapman's a platinum glove. You're in, you're out. I think there's a lot of things that people don't realize about Matt Chapman. Like, he's on pace right now to be one of the best all-around third basemen in MLB history. There are so many third basemen to play the game of baseball, and he is the only one in the history of the sport with at least 70 home runs and a defensive war of nine in their first three seasons of play. No one else but Matt Chapman has done that. I think people take Arenado because of his bat. I think if Chapman hit around 290 or better each year, that puts him in the MVP talks. And I think that puts him above Arenado because I think he has a stronger arm and he can make every play that Arenado makes. But then again, it's just going back to who can hit better, who can hit better. Arenado can hit better right now. Yep. If if Chapman can put that season together where he hits 290 better, 25-plus bombs, this many RBIs, does his gold glove thing that he does on the hot corner, boom. Sign yep. still delivered. Exactly. And in the NL, I think Ronald Acuna is going to take that with ease. That's just – I've had that vision for this season. I think he's going to come out hot. I think he's going to stay hot. It's only 60 games. I see him – Honestly, being up there in the leader of home runs for the National League, I see him having a tear of a year. So those are my two picks. Um, Gray, what do you got? Yeah, man. Um, so when it comes to the American League, uh, my answer is going to be the same every year until he retires. I I think it's you got to give it to Trout until Trout takes himself out of that conversation. He's going to be my MVP pick every year for the rest of his career. Uh, and in the National League, I, I, I look at a guy like Soto who really broke out last year. We're talking about how it's going to be tough for the Nationals to make the playoffs again, so they're going to need that leadership, especially in their lineup. So I think if you if you see the Nationals doing really well this year, it's going to be a lot based on Soto, and he's going to carry a lot of the load, I think. I think you're spot on on that. If they go anywhere, it's going to be on the bat of Juan Soto. I think you guys are kind of 50-50 on this. I, Drew, I'm with you for the NL. Ronald Acuna, it's it's his time. He is coming. There is no stopping Ronald Acuna. Yep. A runner-up, I'm Christian Yelich. Bounce back year, got hurt at the end of the year, was an MVP favorite up until he got hurt. He could come back to claim the crown that he was denied, unfortunately, mm-hmm. last year. Dun, dun. The dark horse <laughs> I've got in the NL, watch out for Fernando Tatis. Good, young, exciting player. He can hit. He's got a hell of a glove. He's going to be someone to watch. He's got out that for. flair that you were talking about too. Oh yeah. Oh, I I notice how there's a theme with me. I love players that have flair. I love personality. Yeah. Onto the AL side, I'm with you, Andrew. It's Mike Trout's until he decides that he is not playing, which of course this year might be a legitimate possibility. But top four or top five in MVP voting every year of his career, I don't know how you can say there is anybody else as a favorite other than Mike Trout. My runner-up is Aaron Judge. If Mike Trout doesn't play, I, I think Judge is built in that Trout mold. Now, he's not quite Trout. Trout, I think, is a little bit more complete than Judge is. But 
Judge is no slouch himself. He is a very complete player all to his own. So I think he's going to be close. And like we've talked about, Matt Chapman is my dark horse, man. I, I'm, I'm actually pulling for that more than, than Mike Trout. I, I would love to see an Oakland athletic, especially Matt Chapman, bring home an MVP. I mean, I think if he hits over 290, like you were saying, he hits over 290, I, unless Trout's playing, how do you take it away from him, I feel like? What do you think a good number for home runs will be in a shortened season? You know, I was thinking about this today, and I honestly think you get guys in a 162-game season that hit, you know, 60 is like, wow. So you get to 60 games – I was thinking anywhere from 24 to 27 is like, that's a hell of a year. Think about a, a norm, the normal season, 162, and like you said, 60 is great, but what's your average? Maybe 40s, you know, for, for yeah, your high 30s, like high 30s, high 30s, probably. Yeah. maybe low 40s for your best home run hitters. This could be a year that we maybe see someone struggle to hit 20, Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah. it's crazy to think about that the way we've talked about baseball is moving, but just... The fear, the pure fact of thirty-seven percent of your season, I, I think we'll be lucky to see someone hit twenty. I, I, I'm, I'm right in there with you. I was thinking, I, I hadn't even thought about that until you brought it up right now. But I think top-tier hitters, you look at fifteen to twenty-five, and you'd be happy with that. You, you oh, would yeah. take that. I'm thinking like Pete Alonso and Judge. If they can get to twenty-five, that's like a breakout for them. Like yeah. that I mean, is wow. I mean, think about, you but know? think about the reverse side of that, right? Which is like, imagine you get to game thirty, and Pete Alonso has four home runs. You know, he gets off to a slow start. I mean, how does that affect his mental game the rest of the season? I mean, I could see I could see this kind of season really benefiting a guy like that. You get off to a hot start. Why not? Why couldn't he hit 30 home runs? But I could also see where he gets off to a slow start. He's got four home runs after 30 games. Yeah. I know I'm a little biased A's fan, but there's a name that we cannot forget about when it comes to home runs. And I think I know who it is. Chris Davis. We have to keep Crush. him in the talk this year. I know that sounds crazy. The past couple years, or last year, he was down, uh, had some injury battles, but this year, watch out. He will be back up there within the top three, four guys that have the you know most home runs in the league, in my opinion. He's got the power easy. It's not a question of the power. It's, it's a question, like you said, of if he's healthy and if he's seeing the ball well, because he's not traditionally a great hitter for average, and especially... What do you have? I think four straight years where he hit 247. 247. Yep. Yeah. So he, and he was like 246 the year before that or something. Exactly. Yeah. You know he's not going to be a guy that hits for average. So as long as he's healthy, you should expect those power numbers. And when you've got him slotted right in there with Chapman and Olsen and you've got Simeon at the Simeon, leadoff spot. Piscotti, Piscotti, You've got a lot Cannon. of power throughout that whole athletics lineup. Rookie of the year. We got some interesting rookies in the AL and NL. I personally like, I'm going to go with another A's guy. I know this sounds very biased to me, but Jesus Lozardo. Uh, lefty, young guy, throws upper nines, killer slider. Just I got to watch him play a couple times last year when he got called up, and he was phenomenal. Very exciting. Um, I think, you know, you got guys, you know, a lot of guys that can potentially – potentially win that um, AL Rookie of the Year, but I think Lazardo is the one, my choice for the AL, uh, especially being a pitcher too. I think this year it's going to be a little bit easier for, on the pitchers to, as I've stated throughout this entire podcast about, you know, getting into the groove quicker, um, feeling comfortable with their pitches and really settling in. And then for the NL, I like, I like Dylan Carlson. I know that's kind of a branch off pick, but 
that dude tore it up last year for the Cardinals, and that goes against what I just said about hitters completely. But I, you know, he rakes. He's from Elk Grove. I'm from Elk Grove. I got to go with the local guy, Dylan Carlson, outfielder from St. Louis. Gray, what do you got? I think that when it comes to rookie of the year this year with the shortened season, I think I personally, when I was picking, I really valued guys who had already had a little bit of time last year. It just didn't qualify for this year because it's it's such a short season. I think the guys with some major league experience or understanding actually benefit uh, from that. So if I'm if I'm picking from the favorites, I also in the American League, uh, I pick Lazardo. He's he's been my pick for a long time. He came up last year. Pitched really well. He found a really a good spot in that rotation where they could give him the experience he needed, get the innings he needed, and he excelled. He did test positive uh, for coronavirus. I saw that. He did test positive. So that's going to be a little bit of a setback. Um, but uh, in the National League, uh, when I looked at our list, I, I picked a guy like uh, Dustin May. Again, another guy who pitched last year. He got good experience. And I just think that... In a short season like this year, you don't have 162 games to work through everything. And I think that when it comes to rookies, that experience is going to be extremely important. When I kind of looked at it, looking at some of the past rookies of the year, there's not a lot of pitchers on the list. So I think the pitchers are going to have a little bit of a tougher time just by nature of how their stats are compared to position players. I, I think it's a little easier for position players that are rookies to end up with the rookie of the year you take a look at Jordan Alvarez last year Otani obviously a two-way player but then you got Judge before that was Michael Fulmer but then you you had Carlos Correa Jose Abreu Will Myers Mike Trout so personally for me I, I think position players are going to be the ones to come away with it so I'm looking at Luis Robert an outfielder for the White Sox I don't know off the bat, how much playing time he's going to get, knowing how many signings that team made. But I do think that if the White Sox are really going to go anywhere, it's going to take a key contribution from Luis Robert. I think it's going to be on the strength of the rookies, especially guys that you haven't seen a lot of tape on, you don't have a lot of information on. You're going in there almost brand new every time, and a 60-game season you're not going to get to learn any of his tendencies, any tips, anything like that. So it's going to be tough. And teams thrive on that too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On to the NL. We've we've talked about this team. They're one of our favorites. But I think this is going to be an easy one for Gavin Lux. Again, when you look at the National League, previous rookies of the year, Pete Alonzo, Ronald Acuna, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Chris Bryant. It's not until 2014 you hit Jacob deGrom. And in the last 10 years, only three pitchers have won the rookie of the year. In DeGrom, Jose Fernandez, rest in peace. Can you guys guess the third pitcher that has won a rookie of the year within the last 10 years? Craig Kimbrell, reliever, won a rookie of the year award. It's insane to me. The runner-up and someone to watch, Carter Keboom, third baseman replacement over in Washington. You've got a tall task of replacing Rendon, but from everything we've seen is he's up for the task. And then my final... The dark horse, Brendan Rogers, second baseman from Colorado. We've talked about a place that has a lot of – it's hitter-friendly. you got the altitude, and he could fit in with an infield of Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Brendan Rogers. That could be a hell of a Rockies infield for a couple of years if Arenado decides to stay. When if you're a guy like Arenado, I feel like it's, it's got to be hard to leave. I mean, his – I mean – 
how much does that boost his stat? Like, it depends how much you think the Coors effect, like, really affects hitters. But I think it's it's like how it's hard for the Giants to sign big-name hitters. It's got to be it's got to be hard for a guy who's already been playing his whole career in Colorado to leave and go to another ballpark. I'd be intrigued to see his home road splits right now. I don't know them off the top of my head. But I want to say that I've heard that he's just as good, if not a better hitter on the road, than he actually is yeah. at Coors Field. And so that, to me, kind of proves that he's legit and can have success anywhere. I would love to see him in a Texas Rangers uniform. I know that kind of – I'm an A's fan. I wouldn't – you know, in division. But I think that he could help that team a lot. Maybe I'm just thinking crazy here. But if I could put him on one team or if I had to guess, if he were to leave the Rockies and join one team before the deadline, I think it would be the Texas Rangers. They got that – you know, that staff up and coming. They got the new ballpark. I think that just brings a lot of positive uh, vibes, energy right to the field. And I think he could help a lot. Unrelated side note, I've heard people talking so much crap on that new stadium that they just built just because of the outside. And everyone says it looks like a barn. Well, it does. <laughs> it looks awful <laughs> from on. the outside. First off, you're, you're in Texas. What I mean, it's almost to me, what do you expect? Of course, you're going to get something that looks like a barn. It's 150 degrees down there every day, pretty much, plus humidity. Of course, you need that. But second, it's not the outside that matters. It's the inside. And the pictures I've seen look phenomenal. The inside is definitely awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of like you're walking up and you see this giant big green piece of metal and you're like, all right, that's what I'm looking at. So for me, I don't know. I've seen like, for example, the A's new stadium uh, pictures and like what they're trying to go for. And that is just, I know you're talking Bay Area compared to Texas, the weather, the humidity. Yes. But that is just like, wow, beautiful, right? Everything that they want to build around it. Beautiful. It's just, it's not just a giant green clump of metal, in my opinion. You know, guys, we brought it up earlier, and I think it's something we should touch on. Jake, you mentioned it, but public relations and how players market themselves, how the MLB markets their players compared to other sports. Go ahead and touch on that a little bit. The way that the MLB has handled not only the cheating scandal, but the way that they have been treating the game of baseball the last few years, to me, has been just short of a crime. I think back to, and I don't remember exactly when this was, but it was two years ago, maybe three years ago. I remember the commissioner came out and said that Mike Trout needs to do more to market himself to baseball. I'm sorry. That is not Mike Trout's job to do. Mike Trout's job is to go out there and be the damn best player in the world, and he does a damn good job at it. It is Major League Baseball's job to market the hell out of Mike Trout. And if they're not doing it, they all need to be replaced because I could tell you right now what I would do to, to change the state of baseball. Kind of like you talked about with Adrian or sorry, Aiden. Aiden was spot on, spot on in that the players I know want to do stuff. Why are we not like we talked about miking them up? I've been seeing a lot of this view from practices recently with spring training 2.0. But the catcher GoPro camera. Yep. The different camera yep. views are huge. Yep. I love that. It makes it, I don't want to say less boring because I don't think it's boring, but it gives you something different. And when you're trying to capture a crowd that you don't have or you're trying to deal with a fan base that you've already upset because of other rules that you're doing, giving them something new and different can only help because 
it, it can't hurt. You've already started to alienate them or you, you already don't have that, that audience that you're going for. So th- to me, there's almost no negative. Also, if I'm the MLB, I would be forcing Mike Trout so hard on everybody that they would be absolutely sick of hearing the name Mike Trout. I swear that you could not go a day in the news cycle on ESPN or on Fox or any of those that you would not be hearing the name Mike Trout. Any league? Well, I, I was just thinking like better. NBA, you see They're LeBron James every single day on SportsCenter. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. So LeBron sneezes. And it's covered on Sports Center. You know why? Why do you not have that for Mike Trout? Why do you not have that for Aaron Judge? Why do you not have that for Ronald Acuna? There are so many good young stars in this league. One person I haven't mentioned all show, and I would be completely remiss if I did not mention him, is Tim Anderson in Chicago. I love the Tim passion Anderson. that that guy plays yep. with his bat flips. It, oh my god, I love watching them play. And as a Giants fan, I'm actually. This was the one thing I never agreed with from Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner wanted you to go out there and show no emotion. Act yep. like you've been there. And to a point, you know what? I can understand that. I'm a big baseball traditionalist. I get it. But you want to capture that fan base, that audience group, that younger generation that you don't have. The way to do that is through players like Tim Anderson and Ronald Acuna, Bryce Harper to a degree, um, I personally love Chris Bryant. He's not as flashy as some of the other guys I'm mentioning, but I would take those fan favorites, Javi Baez, Araldus Chapman, like take those big names, take those fan favorites, take all of your best players. And, and you know what? Here's something that I'm coming up with off the top of my head. Take the top five players in the MVP voting every, at the end of the year and make your whole offseason campaign about those five players from each league. So that's 10 players total. I guarantee you, you would not have one second short of any amount of footage that you needed. You would have everything that you could possibly need or use. And that's only going to draw in all those people that you're trying to catch, but not. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jake. Also, players have personalities. They have lives too, you know. I mean, I've... I'm a big traditionalist. Like I think there is some crossing the line at some point, uh, to like to a degree, like you said. But I do think that you know if there's a home run, the pitcher gave that ball up. Don't be mad at the hitter for flipping a bat, watching it go. You know that is one of the best feelings. Coming for me, I've I hit one home run in college, one home run in high school. Power guy. So I. And I didn't even get to you know watch it and take it in, and that is one thing I regret. One of the biggest things I regret, and I feel like coming from a player's standpoint, they got to have fun. They're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. Yeah, that's people's argument on the on the counter, right? But man, it, that brings in the fans. That brings in the younger generation. That brings in the the life of the crowd when you do a bat flip and everybody goes whoa, you know. I just think that players have personalities. And then and to also add to your point about the marketing side of baseball going hard after Mike Trout, but then the people get mad at guys like Trevor Bauer for trying to market himself and starting his own company and watch Momentum, which if you don't really know a whole lot about, um, I talked a lot, a little bit about it with Aiden on the first episode. Um, it's just basically trying to outreach players to the game and to the fans, kind of like be that middle ground of media. I'm sorry to get a little off topic here, but I talked about this with Aiden last episode, and I think that's something baseball needs to bring to the game. We talked about fan engagement relating to that maybe younger generation and stuff. And you see it in football, you see it in basketball a little bit, but bringing, you know, those mics, you saw it in spring training. 
they have those dudes mic'd up and, you know, they're just talking to the commentators, but mic them up, let them play. You know, that I think that would bring so much fun to the game that even something like me being a traditionalist baseball lover, I'd be interested in. When so. it's good in every sport, I mean, it, it, every, I mean, there's never a time when people are mic'd up where I don't like listening to it. All of the biggest games for every league have players mic'd up except for the MLB. The MLB is so far behind the times on that. The MLB can be as bad as they want at Bauer. I would say right now, name another player who's more well-known in the MLB than Bauer. Because and that's he's because, changing the game. And that's because he markets himself. He does yep. all of his stuff with like uh, the drones. You know, All that stuff is funny to hear, and yep. it makes you like him more. And when the MLB says anything about marketing players, I mean, I remember my generation growing up, you couldn't go a day on TV without seeing Ken Griffey Jr., Blasted on TV. I mean, they they can market these guys. They're just not doing it. Think about the recent baseball 30 for 30, Long Gone Summer. I don't know if you guys watched that. I was absolutely glued to it the night it came out because in 1998, the year that happened, I was six years old. I was I had just graduated kindergarten, going into first grade. That was all that I heard about and all that I remember. And I, I actually, when I was six years old, got to go on the radio station, similar to what I'm doing now, and actually talk about that. That was, like you said, King Griffey Jr., Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Those three names, you could not go one day that summer without hearing one of those three names. Like, that, that was just what was happening. Now, granted, different time for baseball, steroids. You know, we'll, we'll save that for an, another, another time. But... To your point of the marketing, they were always there. You always saw them. And I I also get frustrated when I when I see the whole, oh, well, you, you can't market yourself. With, you, you need to put baseball first. Well, you know, okay, to a, to a point, I can somewhat understand that. But the sport is not going to grow without superstars, without megastars. Think about the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes and, and his contract. How bright is the Patrick Mahomes star right now? How often do you hear about Patrick Mahomes? Quite often. Every single day. Yep. Those leagues, and, and let's even take, I'll throw, obviously we know the NBA with Giannis and LeBron, all, all Luka. Steph, yeah, exactly. Luca, all those guys. Macy, let's go, sons. <laughs> She's also, gonna love that. <laughs> I hope she does. Let's also throw out some some NHL. Like you've got players that are above the league: Alexander Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby. There's just guys that are heads and tails above the others, and you cannot stop hearing about those guys. MLB does not do the same, and the only way that their sport will grow is if, like we've talked about, you're increasing your own brand. If people don't know you. If you're not showing your personality, how are they supposed to get behind you? And I think it's kind of on the players now at this point because they don't see action with the whole marketing and MLB keeping up with other sports. I think it's at this point on the players to do it. Take it on yourself. And I think you see it the the most. Like in basketball, I'd say they're the league that does the best marketing of their players. And the reason why that is is because even the guys who are the top paid, I mean, I know like when Durant was here, I think his max deal was in the – 20 to 30 million dollar range and he made just off his endorsement with whoever was Under Armour Nike 40 million dollars a year I mean basketball was his second job and his endorsements and himself and marketing himself was his job that's where he was the most successful and because of that the guys in the NBA are way more well known I mean we just named you know six guys who 
you know, anybody other than LeBron or maybe Giannis isn't a guy who's going to be, I think, instantly recognizable by people. But I bet you more people know who Luka Doncic is than Mike Trout. And that makes absolutely no sense when you have a transcendent player in a sport who just nobody knows who he is. I would say maybe one thing would be success has hurt Mike Trout when they do have these, at least for the league, opportunities to really put guys out. I think a lot of the times Trout's team is already out of contention or they're in last place in the AL West. And it's, I could see people, I could see, I could see people who, uh, uh, advertisers and stuff getting upset when it's like, hey, we really want you to talk about the Yankees, but you're talking about this last place team. I mean, it, it, it's hard. And that's where these guys marketing themselves become so important. One hot take I had kind of about the whole cheating scandal, kind of similar to the steroid scandal, is this could have actually been good for baseball because now you get people watching to see what's going to happen right. to the Astros. You right. get people, you know, it, it, it's for the wrong reasons. But as they say... Any publicity is good publicity. Good publicity. So you have people talking about you had people talking about baseball from November until February. How often does that happen? Especially with the past two years, with how the hot stove has really been the cold stove up until February until March. You've had so many people talking about baseball over this offseason than you've had probably in the last five years, maybe even the last decade. And then you come out and you've completely squandered any sort of publicity or any sort of goodwill, not that you really had any because to me that Astros punishment was a joke, but yep. any any sort of positive momentum that you had going forward, you completely undid it with the way that you handled all of the all of the the COVID coronavirus right. situation with the the bickering and the fighting with the owners and the players and the public to the way the owners were acting to not wanting to pay minor league players and 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 their, their service people, their game day employees, they've completely, completely taken the game backwards to where they really need those players to start marketing themselves. Right. To well, and I back. think there is something to be said about you always need a villain, and I think it helps. I think it helps the leagues always, right? I mean, you know, the Yankees are, are sort of the always villain. Not in, this year. In baseball. When it hasn't been since really, I'd say, 2009, right, yeah. when they won their oh, last yeah, World last Series, I, th- we really haven't had that that villain and now now we do and so to the point of it becoming more interesting because of that happening i think more people will listen or watch because they want to see them lose for cheating like 100 percent. or who's going to turn in just to see tune in i should say just to see altuve get hit or bregman get hit or you know we, we already know there's going to be a little bit stiffer punishments for those people who do hit them but still going to happen mm-hmm. the casual fan you know, that here's, oh, man, well, they cheated. Well, they need to be punished. I don't think that punishment's good enough. All right, well, let's see the players police themselves, take it into their own hands and being those guys because you know it will happen regardless of punishment. All right, uh, with all that said, episode two comes to a close. Thank you to my two co-hosts, Andrew Gray and Jake Ward, for coming on for the first time, first of many times, and look forward to episode two coming out Thursday.